0: Coming up next on The Bread Winning Mums.
1: Sometimes when I'm hanging out the washing in suburbia and waking up to children <laughs> vomiting in the middle of the night I'm like oh my gosh I swear I used to be so cool once living yeah. the dream I really was living the dream in my 20s I was staying at the Hilton after Triomphe I was like you know going to bars and clubs on the Champs-Élysées and how yeah. Landed
0: hanging out the washing in the birds and cleaning up vomit at 1 a.m. Welcome to the show. I'm Jane Lim. On the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on, and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today, we're chatting with Megan Kerr, a fellow breadwinning single mom with two girls, Olivia and Rosie. Megan is the Director of Development at Opera Queensland. She shared with us her life story about growing up in regional Queensland on Gold Coast, traveling the world as a flight attendant and working for the King of Bahrain and Prime Minister of Lebanon, before going back to Gold Coast to start her family. Here we go, with Megan Kerr. Hello Megan, how are you?
1: Hi, Jane. I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Almost the end of the day. I was going to say almost the end of of the week, but it's not. It's only Tuesday.
1: That's (laughs) wishful thinking. It's okay. As long as we think (laughs) like that, we're nearly there.
0: That's right. One day at a time. It's almost the end and then tomorrow it all starts again.
1: That's right. Deja vu, except no two days are the same really, are they? Yeah,
0: No. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. I thought we would just start with um, just telling us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Um, Sure. Well, I guess you could say um, I'm a Queensland girl that's had lots of adventures. Uh, I spent a lot of my childhood in regional Queensland. Uh, my mm. dad was a policeman and ended up in charge of two-man police stations and the watch house was connected to our house at the time back in the day. And my mum had the honour of cooking all the meals for anyone that would uh, spend any time in the watch house and cleaning the police station. Uh, so, um, but we then were relocated to the Gold Coast. And that's where yeah. I spent most of my upbringing uh, as a GC girl and obviously have Um, a lot of fond memories and loved uh, being brought up on the Gold Coast I have to say and Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a proud alumnus of Star of the Sea that used to be there and then we went Ah. going with Aquinas College and and then I did my tertiary education on the Gold Coast at Griffith University so uh, really feel a connectivity to all of those schools and universities and then, of course, I did my degree and realised that I was probably never going to be a journalist. And so <laughs> uh, I did what all 21-year-old uh, girls seeking adventure do uh, that had done the wrong degree. I decided to go and be a flight attendant overseas. So, wow. So yeah, so for I went at the age of 21 overseas and promised my parents that I would return in six months. And yep. 10 years later... After living 10 years between the Middle East and Paris, I finally did return home to the GC.
0: So you must have grown up in a very, would it be a strict environment then with your dad as as the head of police?
1: Yes, it definitely felt at times like um, he didn't really leave that at home. It was like we were my sister and I were brought up with a little bit of uh, military sergeant major <laughs> uh, influence, and yeah. so, but um, my mum was very soft and very uh, caring, and yeah. um, and you know, and she obviously brought a huge balance uh, into yeah. our upbringing, um, yeah. and you know, and she really a lot of times played mum and dad um, to my sister and I most of the time of our upbringing.
0: I would imagine it would deter a lot of teenage boys as well. (laughs) Was that the case Anything you guys or did you have to say no no it's okay dad's not gonna shoot you? Um, Look
1: I would say that you know my mum says that most of her grey hairs over the years have been acquired through me. (laughs) However um I would definitely say that in high school it was really all about enjoying school and I didn't really um go boy crazy so Mm. I didn't really relate to boys as much I really Mm. missed actually going to my all-girls school that I had gone to before it shut down I didn't really feel um as bigger um you know, investment or it wasn't as relative to me or it didn't mean as much to be going to a co-ed school. I really missed mm. that. Uh, all-girls school education and mm-hmm. I found that to be such a valuable experience when I did have it um, yeah. but then I, again once I went to university then yes it was uh, <laughs> very much a lot less about the tertiary education and all yeah. about the boys <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and so I'm sure that's where a lot of the grey hairs that my mum refers to <laughs> were acquired.
0: And your dad was still the head of police then at, at the time?
1: um yeah so he my dad had then a very very senior role in Gold Mm. Coast Police but Mm. uh, my mum and dad actually divorced when I was 15 and so dad became a lot less in our lives um Mm. and mum remained to be you know um very much the the sole parent that she sort of had always been even when they were married I guess yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, all right. So it's, it probably wasn't as prohibitive as I thought it would be. I
1: know. It probably was a lot easier to um, negotiate and win with mum. Yeah, with way, your mum, yeah. Than it <laughs> okay. would have been with my father at the time.
0: And so when you finally decided to leave Australia and be the flight attendant, was there any specific carrier that you were were after or was it just for any opportunity?
1: Well, in the beginning, my girlfriends and I obviously thought that we would end up flying for the creme de la creme, which was Emirates at the time. Mm. But um, with all of our determination, we ended up, no, sadly landing with Goldfair, which was a little bit uh, known as the poor cousin. (laughs) (laughs) However... I was put in with a batch of about 10 other Aussie girls and our batch number was called AB615 and that group of women um, majority of them have gone on to remain and be lifelong friends and actually you know two of them have been um, godparents to my two little girls and oh beautiful we've all been at each other's weddings um, Mm. and we've all lived through the trials and tribulations now in our uh, mid to late forties of what Mm. life had in store for us. We always knew, we would always say we know what we don't want, but we are just not sure what we do want. But I think think we've broken every list of everything we said we'd never accept or put up with or go through. (laughs) Um, And we really have all been there for each other in the best of times and the toughest of times. And so um, yeah, so Gulf Air and Bahrain was where we landed, where I landed at the tender age of 21. Uh, yeah. I had only been overseas to Vanuatu um, at the age of 19. So yeah. it was a massive eye-opener. Yeah. And, um, and then within sort of the first year or so of us working for Gulf Air, I don't really know how much we all liked golf there. I think there were a lot of uh sick days taken maybe but we definitely <laughs> loved the fact that we had landed on Fantasy Island and we loved Bahrain and we yeah, loved yeah. our community of hosties that we all had so much fun with and we loved you know we loved the London Overnights and we loved mm. um you know, Italy and Paris, just not sure if we were that crash hot on how then we'd have to get there and the long haul flights, we'd have to work to get there. <laughs> yeah, um, But then by chance, you know, just timing is so key in life. But um, the, there was a new king of Bahrain, mm. and he had bought himself a brand new 747 uh, palace in the sky. And mm. he was looking to recruit Australian and South African crew and captains to Um, work that plane and Mm. so I was lucky enough with some of my girlfriends that we were um, lucky enough to get the positions on that crew Mm. and we went on Mm. then to fly with uh, the Bahrain Royal Flight for the next uh, few years and that really was just the most amazing experience and it was an education that money can't buy but Mm. it's stories to tell my grandkids and Mm. it's a and it's experiences that I will forever be grateful for.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's with King Hamad bin. Yes, yeah, so King of
1: Bahrain. And yeah. uh, and then after I had worked with the Royal Flight for a few years and realised that, you know, I loved that line of work so much that mm. I was then fortunate enough to be recruited into, um, to work on the biggest privately owned plane in the world at the time, which was a 777, and that mm. was owned by the Prime Minister of Lebanon, Rafi hariri mm. and, mm. um, and, I mean, the best, most amazing thing for a girl from the GC was that all mm-hmm. the crew, we were based in Paris oh nice yeah so living and working in Paris for the next three years will forever remain a highlight of my life and I you know sometimes when I'm hanging out the washing in suburbia and waking up to children <laughs> vomiting in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I swear I used to be so cool once living yeah. the dream. I really was living the dream in my 20s. I was staying at the Hilton Act de Triomphe. I was like, you know, going to bars and clubs on the Champs-Élysées. how... Yeah. I landed, hanging out the <laughs> washing, in the birds, and cleaning up vomit at one AM.
0: At least you have those memories to go back to, Megan. Yeah, Could be oh, worse.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> and, look, and life has to move on in stages. You know, mm. like. I knew that at the age of thirty, that I was mm. always going to come home and mm. endeavor to really build a corporate uh, career. And mm. I w- wanted to, I wanted to settle down. I wanted to have children, and I wanted to do that back at home. And I sort of knew. My mum always says that she knew I had gotten homesick after ten years when I would say to her, "I'm looking out at the Eiffel Tower from my bedroom, and I really wish it was the Q one." <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how you know that you know it's time for the girls from the gc to go home
0: how was life with the royal family was there any i'm sure you know wealth aside um at the fundamental levels was there any difference between how they are as a family and, you know, the average breezy
1: family? Um, look, I would say that the um, number one thing that I always mm-hmm. took with me when working for any of the families that employed mm-hmm. me was that uh, with different cultures in different mm-hmm. countries was that I was there as a visitor. Yeah. Um, I was there as a guest. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, you know, and I was very honoured to be able to um witness their lives and be a part of that from a distance from Mm. an observation capacity Mm. and obviously um you know just just really begin to have an understanding a deeper understanding and respect for their culture and their beliefs and their way of life and that Mm. has only ever made me uh, more enriched in my own life and Mm. um, to always have such a broader understanding of people all over the world is only ever going to benefit um, myself and my children is into how mm. we look and view the rest of the world. And, you know, there's, there's nothing more special than having friends all over the world with different beliefs and different cultures and we're mm. all connected through friendship. Mm,
0: that's beautiful. Talking about children, did you always know that you were going to be a mum?
1: Yes, I always knew um, and, and clearly my ovaries would never <laughs> let me rest. until. Uh-huh. so I definitely, uh, my biggest ambition in life was to mm. always be a mum and always mm. um, I'm so glad that I did have that commitment to that role because I was really going to need it. Mm. Um, my first, uh, my eldest daughter, Olivia, um, she's 10, and mm. she was, you know, what we saw as the greatest gift ever after years of an IVF journey. Mm. And obviously, um, all women that have to struggle with fertility and especially IVF understand the heartbreak, the constant heartbreak that goes. With an IVF journey, and you know, and the miscarriages and the failed mm. attempts and everything, your your whole day revolves around an egg collection and what that is. Yeah, had. hormonal roller coaster yes. as well. Yeah, I know absolutely, and so um, and you know, it's all about giving those needles from hip mm. bone to hip bone and mm. and really getting high on hormones. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, there are so many layers to it, and I still truly believe that it's still far more taboo than it should be um, in this country and I always welcome conversation uh, around joining other women with their fertility journeys and and the real challenges and heartbreak that come with that and to be able to give understanding and and you know love and support to anyone going through that is always something that um, I love to be a part of.
0: That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. I was just um, discussing that with my previous guest, actually, Elisa Green, and we were talking about how infertility and um, miscarriages is something that we should talk more about because it is a very commonplace occurrence, uh, but it shouldn't deter us from talking about it and encouraging each other for, you know, just keep on trying. If it is something that is really important to you, it will happen in one form or another
1: um yeah absolutely totally and I think for men as well you know I think Mm. um you know yes the men on the journey of IVF um struggling and finding it hard it's even more taboo you know if Mm. it's um you know even you know people just assume that it's related to a woman's infertility rather than the fact that it's actually just as much related to a man's infertility that as a couple, you're going through this. And um, I think that the most amazing thing about women is is that we do process stress. We we process what we're going through. We talk to our girlfriends. It's very much a shared journey Mm. when we're going through it. Um, And I don't believe that men are sharing what they go through and processing it ever in real time. And so Mm. uh, that's something that as Australians, I would love Mm. for us to to really work more on Mm, that's right so men if you're listening you can talk about it and it's totally fine totally fine to have fertility challenges and to also have broken hearts and exactly feel it just as much um absolutely I guess um, after then finally getting our greatest gift ever in Olivia and being Mm. so grateful to have this one baby I mean I think I'd always thought that I was going to have three or four and then Mm. I really had um, had to rethink that goal and I just wanted one and I just used to think oh please let me have one and then I got one and you know I felt like everything was complete and then the universe had a bigger story uh ready for me and so then when Liv was eight months old and had just started crawling and yeah. I started to again feel very very ill and I was like hmm. this and, is familiar uh, yeah this is very familiar <laughs> I suffered terribly with illness all through my pregnancies and Aww. um yes and so I was like oh I know what this feeling feels like but could yeah. it be like after all these yeah. years of science mm. and? Poking and prodding and mm. surrendering to the fact that you know one baby was more than enough to be grateful for. Of course, mm. um, I went to the shops and did about what felt about twenty five home pregnancy tests. <laughs> they were all positive, and so <laughs> then um, then we were given our greatest natural surprise ever, and that was our um, beautiful second daughter. Rosie and Rosie is nine. And, yeah. um, and I had these two babies under two. You know, I had just gotten my biggest promotion ever at work. And so, and I had taken a year off and really wanted to totally embrace motherhood and really mm-hmm um surrender to what that looked like Mm. and uh and then I went back from my maternity leave (laughs) pregnant with Rosie to tell my (laughs) my boss at the time that you're not going to believe this (laughs) (laughs) and I mean I I was working for and with the most amazing women um that still to this day are my mentors and my closest friends and um you know I had Deputy Vice-Chancellor Professor Marilyn McMenimum at the time as my boss and Mm. what a wonderful person to not only have admired but worked for and to be able to share the news that I was pregnant again and would be taking a little bit more time off than what had been expected and and of course then and Lee to Brett was also a very close um, colleague and mentor at the time and they both saw absolutely no issue with it whatsoever. Brilliant. What were you doing at the time? What was your role? At the time I had just been appointed as Deputy Director of Development and Alumni for Griffith University oh. and uh, this was a role that I had worked really hard to get to and and I loved it. Um, mm. And so, you know, so then um, it was all about how I was going to navigate that. Upon, I, I was going to come back quicker with Rosie, obviously, mm. and how I was going to slowly come back from a part-time capacity to a full-time capacity. And, mm. you know, fortunately for me at the time, and they still continue to be, Griffith University was the number one employer choice for women. Mm. And, you know, this was testimony to how amazing they are to be, to want a career and be ambitious and be driven and also still um have have the absolute right to start a family.
0: So you mentioned that you've always known that you were going to be a mom. Did you always know that you were going to be a career
1: woman? No, I definitely didn't. But part of what motherhood gave me and my IVF journey gave me was that most of the women around me at the time were either getting pregnant or on maternity leave. And so, you know, it just by chance happened that Mm -hmm. these opportunities really opened up for me and I could still pull 12 hour days and I could still (laughs) really say yes to everything. And so Mm -hmm. whatever came my way as an opportunity to prove myself and to deliver and exceed Mm -hmm. expectations, you know, um, my roles at Griffith University really became my my babies that I didn't yet have. And so yeah. um, I was able to really um, build an impressive uh, career at Griffith University that really allowed me to challenge myself and really yeah. allowed me to know that without a doubt, one day I want to, um, you know, I want to be the best at what I do, but I want to be the boss. I want to be yeah. able to create strategies and make decisions and be accountable for what that looks like and really um, create dynamic diverse teams um, with huge skill sets and and take us places and
0: mm.
1: for all the women um, that Griffiths University provided me with to work for or to work with mm. the one thing that they really instilled in me was that there was enough room at the top for us all to shine. Nice. And so the fact that I was able to build that uh, mentorship of women or those guardian mm-hmm. angels of my career um, early on in the process, um, starting with Griffith University mm-hmm. and having them truly show me that their belief that there was enough room at the top for all of us, it yep. really started to instill in me the confidence that I needed to know my value.
0: So you have Liv, who is 10, and Rosie, who is 9. What is the like the average day for you at the moment? What's life for you right now?
1: Life is probably what I'd call a beautiful chaos <laughs> <laughs> with all the best intentions. You know, I am very routine-driven, um, and that really is just to combat then the variables that are out of my control that are always going to happen. You know, there's yeah. always going to be a sick little person in the house or there's always going to be, um, you know, something that gets forgotten last minute and it has to be raced up or a free dress day that I only learn about minutes before. (laughs) Um, But, you know, being recently separated and entering into a new world now as a single mom Mm. and having, um, you know, um, a big job that I love and it really is also about being kind to myself. And, yes. you know, the girls come first, but um, my career allows me to be able to never feel in conflict of that. And so I definitely work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really am very disciplined about what's important and what's Mm. not. Mm. And so, you know, you can't cut corners in my job to raise a couple of million dollars and Mm. you really need to put in the time to have meaningful relationships with corporate partners and with our donor community. And that's the priority and that drives the highest, um, you know, highest and best use of my time for Mm. the best outcomes. And Mm being a mum you know my number one role it's I always find that if I can find time to do one tuck shop shift or one class (laughs) reading group that will far outweigh anything the girls care about over anything that I professionally achieve. (laughs) That is their um, biggest highlight and so I'm very aware of that and I'm very aware of how important that is to them and how much that resonates because Mm or all of the KPIs or targets that I achieve uh, in my professional life, Mm. none of those matter to, um, you know, the two most important people in my life. And so I do definitely focus on what matters to them as well.
0: Nice. So do you have a certain mummy KPIs then that you have on the back of your mind?
1: (sighs) Oh, my gosh. I would love to think that it's about just it's being real and raising happy and loved children. Yeah. I think that's the best thing for me. Like I love it when the girls go to school because they love school and they're happy, mm. you know, without any expectation. You know, mm. we, I never discuss with them their grades. It's not mm. about the grades they achieve. It's about the comments, comments mm. that are left by their teachers, mm. and it's about the positive friendships that they form. And oh, it's so also good. about the boundaries that they can create for themselves from now. You know, I think you know, back in the day when I was growing up, you were always told if a boy was being mean to you, it was because he liked you. And yeah, you know, that is such a foreign concept now mm-hmm. to the, the two girls that I'm raising and mm-hmm. their peers and their friendships and their, and their male friends as well. So mm-hmm. I love the fact that the girls are being raised in an era um where they're being taught what not to tolerate yeah. um who what choices to make about the people that make them feel good about themselves and that are kind mm. to them mm. and that you know having a positive can-do attitude will take them so much further than ever holding themselves accountable to not being good enough because they didn't get the grade that you know um, might make them think that that's what's important when it's not.
0: So you mentioned that you recently separated. Yes. Do you have the girls with you
1: full time or? Um, I do have the girls with me majority of the time. Okay. um, But, I mean, as a disclaimer, I have always been quite used to juggling the girls um, at times by myself because their dad for um, most of their life was fly in, fly out. And oh, okay. so uh, people used to say that I must have been high on hormones. When you know, I, I I realized when I came back from having Rosie that I was still so ambitious and had such a drive. And so I also realized that as deputy director, I wasn't going to get to the next stage of my career as a director unless I um, made sacrifices. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that women need you know to get far as well that isn't is a luxury for men most of the time that we don't always have is the ability to move for your next Mm. career
0: Mm. and
1: so I um you know I I decided that yes I wanted this and so then I started to actively look Mm. and then I landed the most amazing role as executive director of development at the Queensland Performing Arts Centre and so Mm. I moved with these two a little two and three year olds I had no family and friends in Brisbane and I had um, their dad that was based in regional Queensland two weeks on two weeks off oh wow and, okay. uh, and you know, I look back now and think oh my goodness what yeah. was I yeah. thinking? <laughs> and you know and we were talking like so I would do it was easy to just do two to four nights at the theatre and then you would be back in the office um, the next day but I was always very disciplined to make sure that in between that day operational part of mm. the role to the mm. opening night hosting in the theater role, I mm. would always go home and make sure that I was, I was there to for dinner time before yeah. they go down for bed. And, and, you know, and a lot of my girlfriends would be like, Megzy, you're, you're back at work when they're asleep. Like, don't be so hard on yourself. And so I was really dedicated to, Making sure that I was there for the moments um, that mattered
0: and yep. I wasn't
1: so hard on myself. Yep. The fact that I couldn't be there for the moments when they were sleeping, let's say.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also still have a little bit of time just for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I feel that, um, you know, um, having felt so important to have a strong sisterhood. Um, Mm -hmm. you know a strong village around you and so my me time really is when I get to have quality time with my girlfriends and Mm -hmm. I really see that that is all about that's one of my biggest hacks really is if you've got your sisterhood to give you your sanity your support and your block then (laughs) um, you know then then consider yourself you'll be fine and you'll be fine
0: Yeah. And these are still the same ladies that you went abroad with?
1: No, I forever. So yes, they all AB615 still uh, exist in my life. And actually, we just had our most recent reunion a few weekends ago, and they never disappoint. But um, I think it's really important as women that we always Mm. keep evolving and we keep open to new friendships and we Mm. let new people in and new women in and we keep learning together. And that we're always there for each other. The one thing that has definitely um, contributed to me being able to have a successful career and um, you know having to be so um, committed to motherhood and and all that that entails is really having a community. And so community yes. is key to everything that I do. and there's so many amazing men and women within my community where we all have demanding careers, mm. but we all have children. And so mm. we all come together to help with pickups, to help with drop-offs, to mm. um, coordinate what it's gonna look like to be in two places at once with sports yeah. on a weekend, or, you know, um, to really, to really just have a complete understanding for each other as to how we can all come together and mm. help and be part of the solution. And I definitely feel that with the community of parents who Mm. are all dear friends to me that I've made in Brisbane. And Brisbane has been the most amazing city um, Mm -hmm. for, for the girls and I now to live in and have that sense of community.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just went to Brisbane not too long ago because my uncle lives there and it has such a like family oriented feeling, even in the city, wherever you go, actually, everything is
1: very family friendly. Everything. And the fact mm. is, is that Brisbane is a city to be reckoned with on a global scale, mm. arts and culture, you know, mm. education, the Olympics are coming mm. um, and, you know, sports. There's nothing as a pillar that makes a great city that Brisbane doesn't have. And so what's the linchpin that, um, you know, embraces all of that is the fact Mm. that Brisbane has great people and Mm. great families and Mm -hmm. great communities. And that really does provide Brisbane with the ability to be such a livable city and such a city in demand um, from everyone around the world. Mm, and the weather doesn't hurt either. Or yeah, beautiful one day, perfect the next. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. My auntie was saying it's either great or perfect. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. And I I can say, yes, auntie, we agree. We would just like a, bit <laughs> a little bit less flooding, please. Yes, so that's we right. We could just ask for that because of all the poor people that genuinely suffer and lose so much through the floods. But mm. um, other than that... We, we can definitely say that Brisbane is absolutely perfect.
0: Megan, if we could go back to that time when you were 21 and you were thinking about leaving Australia, knowing what you know now, if you could give yourself, your younger self, one advice, what would that be?
1: Um, Oh my gosh, just one. I'm so bad at ever like (laughs) narrowing things down, but you know, I would say uh, to my younger self, don't ever settle. Don't settle for mediocre roles. Don't settle for mediocre men. Don't settle for mediocre salaries. Don't settle for mediocre people um, in your life. And so know your value and know who you are and what you're worth. And Mm. um and that there's so much joy and happiness and a wonderful life ahead.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, and what's your alpha mom song?
1: Oh, look again, Jane. We are hard in the Care Girl House to settle for one. We are. We, you know, we what we lack in natural talent. Uh, we make up for in an enthusiasm and complete denial that we one day won't be backup singers for Delta Goodrich. So What do you uh, mean backup singers? That's right, that's a centre stage you know, uh, yeah. even though um, I, my amazing position with Opera Queensland is obviously in the operational business side I'm forever telling our artistic director mm-hmm. that I'm waiting for the call-up it's been four years <laughs> if someone goes sick or if we're all out of superstars will today be my day And you're always there me, like, no <laughs> yes um, but for the care girls in our car our care girl car karaoke Um, and for me you know we are big glee fans so Ah, don't stop believing my glee is always something that we're belting out on the way to school or you know I don't really know a car that at the moment with any amazing men or women in it that aren't belting out about damn time by Lizzo. Oh yeah. Um, And then I would say personally for me through the last few years that have had personal challenges. Um, you know, the Dixie Chicks have become my sorority and have provided me with anthems that good old country um, songs. I've totally so you know, <laughs> Gaslighter and Julia Calm Down may, <laughs> may have just gotten me through the last few years of my personal challenges without a doubt. And um, a big shout out to the Dixie Chicks for that, for knowing me so well.
0: You're not the only one, Megan. (laughs) Oh, great. Thank you so much for that. Now, if there is one thing, one advice that you can give to all breadwinning moms listening, but especially somebody who is going through relationship. Dynamics like that
1: could be tricky. What would that be? Um, Look, I would say to be kind to yourself and forgive yourself for whatever mistakes you make. You know, what's a a life isn't worth living if you don't learn and live from your mistakes and be kind. Mm And, you know, for me, find out what it is for you that gives you that confidence when you might be lacking it and how you're going to fake it till you make it. You know, I live for a spray tan and on my weakest days or my you know, most challenging days. You're in Brizzy. You don't need it. I know, but we're all about Sun Smart here, Jane. So okay. hello, none of us are actually tanning. However <laughs> Uh, that orange tangerine coat of armour that I sometimes might need is what it takes to have me walk in um, and have that little bit of confidence that I might be lacking in that day and those days don't happen very often but thank god for me for the spray tan and I would say you know surround yourself with amazing women um, Mm. and don't ever underestimate the power of Friendship and mentors. Mm, perfect.
0: Thank you so much, Megan. It's been so lovely to
1: have you. Thank and you. Best of luck. Thank you, you so much. Raising. It's been lovely to talk to you too. And I wish you all the best as well.
0: Thank you so much for listening to breadwinning mums. Please subscribe and leave us some feedback so we can continue to make the show better for you. If you know a fellow breadwinning mum, please share the show so we can cheer each other on. Until next time,